When we think about cities, we often think of huge megacities and flashy global cities. It may surprise you to know that more people live in cities of a million or less than in cities with more than a million residents. Small and medium-sized cities under a million account for 1.9 billion people. That is, nearly two out of seven people in the world. If we include cities under 5 million in population, they represent 2.7 billion people. I'm Michael Crane, and this is Mission City, a podcast about the urban revolution and how the church can serve the city. I'm a researcher and writer on the intersection of cities and the Christian faith. Our guest for this episode is John Dumbardive. John is part of a multi-generational Christian ministry in South Asia. Over the last five decades, John and his family have been committed to leading an indigenous Christian mission by saving one child at a time and training and sending one native missionary at a time. They operate children's homes, Christian schools, train national pastors, and serve the poorest of the poor. In large part, their work takes place in these smaller cities. Hi, John. Welcome to Mission City Podcast. We're so glad to have you uh, joining us today. Thank you so much, Michael. This is a great opportunity. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to chat with you today. So tell us just a little bit about yourself, your family, and your work, and how you came to know Jesus. Uh, my name is John Dungardive. Uh, I'm from India. And um, my story is that I grew up in church. My dad uh, is a pastor. Mom was a teacher. And they were fully involved in sharing gospel, teaching children. And especially my dad's uh, vision was to empower national leaders. So grew up uh, in that environment and being oldest child, being part of uh, ministry, always needed help. So I was there, but never had a personal relationship uh, with Lord Jesus Christ and uh, grew up in that tension that many of the pastor's kids or missionary kid uh, grew up that I, I do not, I love they do what they do, but I do not to want to do this for me. Yeah. This is not for me because I've seen them struggle financially, struggle in, in so many different avenues, uh, doing ministry in a context that is gospel hostile, trying to to work with their organizations. They were from different countries and they there's always kind of tension trying to explain them how to do ministry. I, I was all set. I went to school to become a hotel and airlines manager. I went mm. uh, there and I uh, wanted everything what my parents did not had, what I thought was important. And uh, was working in a hotel industry, uh, just looked alive. Uh, I was making good money and was able to see the luxury, the, the shining, the expensive material things and a chance to hang around with them. I thought that that's what it was. And as uh, 
had chance to learn more about them and um, compare their lives with my parents' life. Uh, I said that my parents did not have all the materials to think, but they had that joy, that love, their marriage was strong, and they have contentment and fulfillment in their life. And so, other hand, I was looking at my boss and uh, other co-workers that all the worldly things, but their marriages were not stable, addictions they struggled with, and also just were giving all their energy life to for their boss and for their companies that we already had everything. Mm. And so at one point, I really had to make decisions. John, do you want to serve to your boss who is rich, who is influential, who has everything in the world, or to serve a loving God and his people who needs you? And, and at that point, I, I made decision to help out, starting with part-time ministry, helping out for my parents. And then eventually God uh, got pulled me in and, uh, and gave clear vision uh, of uh, the purpose of my life and the legacy and uh, the, the story of my parents and my grandparents to do that. And that's how my journey began. Praise God for the, the witness of your own parents in that it's so sad to see so many who claim to be Christian who look more like your your boss in that scenario than the than your parents in that scenario. Praise God for that witness. Absolutely. And I, I, I struggled. I, I did not like my my name, John, because in many Indian movies, John, James, Paul, Peters are all bad guys. Oh. And and I would go to my dad that, Dad, I want to change my name because it's it's just kind of connects with all the bad guys. And my dad would always say that, John, you have the opportunity to to show who real John is in real life mm-hmm. than the movies and the screen. And I was only Christian in my, in my college and most of the time uh, where I was, but uh, a chance to witness and live. Wow. Uh, life that, that's inspiring. And now you have a family? Yes, I do. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm married to Heather for the last 13 plus years. Uh, we have a daughter who is six years old. Her name is Abilasha, uh, which means desired. We prayed for her for a long, long time. And uh, God fulfilled our desire by giving us Abilasha. What a gift. Now, how did you get involved in your current work in the areas that you're working in? Our work is part of multi-generational ministry. It's, it's my grandfather who first accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Mm. My grandfather's story also starts with pandemic, and so mm. it was a huge uh, uh, cholera epidemic when that was going on in his village. Many people were, were dying, and his older brother and dad had passed away because of cholera, mm. and he was helping them for their final rites. He got contracted with that. And he started showing some symptoms. So all the villagers say that, hey, it looks like that you got infected and you will die as well. So we don't want to get infected. So why don't you go on your farm and stay there? And uh, so you'll be safe maybe, and maybe we'll be safe as well. So at that point, uh, 
my grandfather never believed in traditional ways and traditional uh, deities, but he always thought in his life that there's somebody who is greater than, than what I see or what I feel or what I've been told about. So that's his his condition was uh, getting worse. He started throwing up, he had diarrhea, and um, was was struggling to even survive. He kneeled down uh, in that farm and, and prayed to that unknown God, that God, I don't know your name. God, I do not know who you are, but I know you are there. Hmm. And you please heal me, give me a chance, and then I will, I will commit my life to serve you. Wow. Uh, and then just a small prayer that he prayed, and then miraculously he was healed. And many people in that time died, but God chose to heal him. And he got recovered. He came back uh, to his village. Right after that, uh, there were missionaries from uh, United States. They, they were there and... Uh, uh, they were trying to connect with some local people. They had some issues with their uh, mode of transportation. And my grandfather, and they got connected, and uh, his prayer was answered. God finally showed up to a very small village that uh, nobody heard about, and nobody kind of know about, but... Um, that's the, the way that uh, God chose our family. And these are the foundations of our ministry that started that. So these missionaries came and for him, this was an unknown God that he was praying yeah. to. And mm-hmm. when they began to talk about Jesus, he made this connection. Absolutely, absolutely, because he, he got connected with them and everything that they shared with him. He said that, okay, this is what I was waiting for. Almost like a furious way said that why you were late coming to my village and there are so many people have not heard about Jesus. Yeah. And so he ended up going to a Bible school and started uh, establishing several churches in that area. Okay. And yeah. so that's how this movement started. Uh, well, praise God. So that's always been a vision about uh, training and sending national pastors because I know, we know that we work in a context uh, that about 60 plus million people speak the language that I, my family speaks. And out of that, very less people know about Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. And um, lots of work, and I know thousands of still people waiting on that farm in that village in that uh, city or in their small hut are waiting somebody to come and share gospel with them because they know in their heart that what they see around what they've been uh, asked to worship what they have been told to as, as a deity is, is not the one but uh, Jesus is the one with whom they are looking for what exactly do you do then uh, involved in as you're involved with this multi-generational ministry? So my, my parents continued the same vision that what my grandfather had and uh, my testimony just fit into that. I, I knew that God had chosen my family and all of us to, to share the gospel. And so when looking at this 
generations of mission work in India. I've had a chance to evaluate it, see the, the strength and weaknesses and something that what what I would do better, what I can do that people like me who have been privileged to know Jesus Christ, who are privileged to grow up in a Christian, strong Christian family, how we can move this movement forward, how the Indian church will look like more like Indian, that what we are, the rich culture that we have, the beauty of colors, the exotic um, nature of uh, languages and food and festivals that we celebrate and how we can embrace those things uh, in a gospel-centric way to tell and share the good news to my people. And out of this, my, my ministry began. There are two focuses of, of my, our ministries, to train and send one national missionary at a time. And another is save children, provide uh, care for them. Because mm-hmm. if you are in my contact, at, at every stoplight, there are kids coming and asking, uh, begging for food. There are about 30 million children in India they're orphan, or semi-orphan, or children, those who are in need. And uh, so these all, both front, uh, I've given my life to to contribute to this aspect of ministry. Um, we regularly conduct seminars for, for the pastors and the leaders. We conduct uh, Bible, we translate resources for the mm. uh the national pastors, and we also have this cohort group that, that always strive to to see that how how we can best reach our people, mm. and and the, and the context is different from a small village to a very big big city, and I will explore more about the the bigger cities and the melting pot that it is, but the movement is. is same, that how our movement will be self-supporting, self-governing. Some of your work has been in a medium-sized city. I, I think in terms of just the media and everything, the big cities get all of the attention. Globally, that's true, right? What people know about America are through the, the big cities, New York or LA or whatever. And the same is true in India, you know. Mumbai with Bollywood and and New Delhi and Calcutta. Describe the nature of a medium city in India, what those look like, how do they compare with the bigger cities, what's different, what's unique about the the smaller and medium-sized city. When you think about India, one thing that I really miss when I am uh, not in India is, is people. We grew up surrounded by so many people rubbing shoulder to shoulder and uh, talking with people. And when I'm not in India, I'll see more cars than people. Mm. And so that's a very distinct um, uh, feature or being surrounded by people all the time. And whether it's a mid-side city that uh, we are in, in India, our main uh, City uh, is a population that's almost one and a half million, and city that nobody has heard about. So the the number 
is kind of uh, relevant to different uh, contexts. It's uh, maybe for in some contexts, it's me considered as a big city, but for India, it's a very small uh, thing and maybe a hundred cities of, of more than one million population. Uh, uh, I think the big biggest difference between, uh, let's say, this big cities like Mumbai, which has 19 million, or Delhi or Calcutta, who has a more than uh, 10, 15 million people. It's, it's just the the magnitude of poverty, magnitude of uh, diversity, magnitude of people coming from different language. If you go to Mumbai, it will be 20 different languages in per, per square mile or whatever. In my smaller city, it will be less. And, and also, I think the global connection in the bigger cities is more greater. Yeah, there was more international presence in these bigger cities, and my contacts there are less global connection. So these are some of the the change uh, differences I would say. But the same element of all the urbanization, uh, we see same struggle of poverty, same struggle of housing issues, same struggle of uh, uh, people coming from smaller village in search of jobs people leaving their own context on their caste or subcaste or religious tradition to come to a, a bigger city and and those their identities started blending in mm. in urban areas and and that gives a opportunity for many of our leaders to to share because the resistance there is not that uh, stronger than something they would experience in a smaller villages. So can I just um, explore that a little bit? Not all of our listeners have as much familiarity with caste. So what I hear you saying, and I think this has gone along with what I've been reading, is caste uh, separation is a stronger reality in the rural setting. And with kind of in the urban context, uh, there are other identifiers that maybe your socioeconomic status may come into play more than caste sometimes or yes. explore that a little bit more. And then is there a difference in the larger cities and the medium-sized cities? Whether you're in a smaller city or, or bigger cities, uh, our caste identity is very strong. And I would argue that in some contexts, even more than your religious identity, that the caste mm-hmm. dominates who you are, what you do, where you live, uh, obviously whom you marry, and what kind of social economy that you end up with. So caste is something that is like a big, it's been defined as a big high-rise building with no stairs. You cannot go up, you cannot go down. You are stuck <laughs> in whatever that you are allotted or you were you yeah. born, born into it. Yes. And the smaller towns or in cities, even my size, there are, there are certain areas restricted for certain cities. So in, still in India, it's um, if you tell me your last name and where are you from, most probably I will be able to tell what caste you belong to. Mm. And in my mind, I would start will put you in the social economic and uh, unfortunately I think that's uh, that's still reality 
And most of the marriages are in India are still arranged marriages. And that is something that is kind of perpetuating this caste system that is still dominates the Indian psyche. And, and especially with the, the residents in a smaller village, there are distinct areas for type of castes that you are part of. Mm. And so that is so much difficult to get over because marriages are arranged. A neighborhood that you live is determines where where you live uh, determines your caste or caste determines where you live and also what you do, whom you are connected and what you kind of uh, associate with. That is almost already kind of a plan for you. But uh, when the same people come to, to bigger cities, uh, you see that those, those identifiers becomes less prominent. And as you know that the cast is a it's kind of big polka dot kind of dots, all different different dots, makes a big subcast or maybe even bigger is four different casts. But I have sort of seen is the, the subcast emerged faster when they moved to uh, bigger cities. Mm. But still, their identity of general caste or, or larger caste group, they're, they're still associated with that. Okay. So it doesn't fully break down, but a little bit. Yeah, it does. It does a little bit. And, and, and that's also kind of hopeful because what they take out the urbanization, their identity being part of a bigger cities uh, becomes, they embrace that and that becomes a bridge. Yeah, yeah, I mean, cities have an anonymizing element to it, right? And so, you know, more so than in a village, you're interacting regularly with people you don't know who yes. could be from different castes or different backgrounds and you just don't know. And so you develop these interactions with people that sometimes develop into friendships. Cities will have larger companies and multinational companies at times. Uh, would they hire based on caste or no? No. And, and so that has been a really good thing that, that they have uh, opened up plain level for everybody to to participate and even apply. But the problem is that historically the, the higher caste or more privileged people already had a like advantage of the, the skills, the education yeah. and also just the way that they are a language or just the ability to reach to the multinationals before and when they get to that higher position and their tendency is to hire their same cast people right so yeah. that is one thing that we are really struggling is that even if this multinational let's say an american company wants to to hire everybody but the people they yeah, end up surrounding with is high caste because they are the one who has more education and, and on second level leadership that they are the one 
end up hiring people those who they feel comfortable. Now, does uh, caste enter into the church? That's a very good question, and thank you so much for asking that. And as I mentioned earlier, it's a, it's a very strong identity for any any Indian. Yeah, I remember many years ago there was a one young beautiful lady, one Miss Universe pageant, and um, the hottest search on Google was people were searching and and checking for their her cast, what cast she is. Because they are so curious, she's beautiful. She won. She must be from my cast or high cast. Or mm. we want to identify to that. And, and and still in India, if you see the news magazine and arrange a marriage, people specifically mention that oh, yes, this time part of this cast, and I'm looking for bride or groom who is my cast. And there are websites; those are uh, typically divided into. There are no. Uh, Single farmers website, yeah, right, like right, yeah, different um, cast website, and and that's how kind of that is perpetuated. So that's that's the struggle, and uh, this is a big issue. And I have seen that not as stronger as as other uh, part of uh, Indian society, but that element does bring in that caste sensitivity, and that is going away. The Christian leaders in India has worked very hard to address this issue, but that has been a major sin that still Indian believers have to fought it through. Mm. Part of what you're doing is equipping pastors, right? Yes. How do you equip pastors? And are they already pastors when you're equipping them, or are they going to start new churches? Flesh that out for us. Obviously, first uh, objective is to how they will be strong in their scriptural knowledge. Mm-hmm. And also, after that, their financial self-supporting aspect of that. And then how they can they can self-propagate. Done this through organizing trainings for them. We have uh, uh, translated many resources in my language that would be very important for them. And also using new technologies to to continuously stay connected and encourage them to be effectively reach to their context. Okay. Because uh, when a new believer becomes a leader, he comes with the strength of knowing whether a, a subcast he is part of a or a sect, religious sect, if he is part of, or if he is part of a linguistic group that he comes with and uh, we encourage them to identify those issues uh, find answers in that particular questions that 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 his uh, worldview is and his people struggle with and empower and give confidence and trust in them to be able to minister to their uh, context to their group and villages the biggest challenge is that how we can empower our national pastors, uh, challenging them to contextualize their message, but at the same time not being synchronistic. So that's always danger. And uh, in our in our movement, we want to make sure that it's uh, their message is Christ centered, biblically uh, based, 
to be able to um, to reach their own people without including something that is not uh, gospel. Yeah, which is always a, a challenge. Even after a, a long time, then you get sucked into other idolatries, you know, whether it's consumerism or in America, sports can be an idolatry. So as you're equipping these pastors or, or potential pastors, are they mostly going into a rural setting or into an urban setting or a variety? Both. And many of our, our young pastors, uh, since they are bivocational, many times they end up going to bigger cities. Mm-hmm. And it's been a beautiful, beautiful experience to see the the church plants that they have been able to part of. As you know, the bigger cities, and especially in Indian context, is made up of big slums mm-hmm. and uh, huge challenges of housing or clean water uh, or um, any any kind of a basic thing that uh, many people get granted in in developed world but flourishing these groups in a in a very hostile areas where where this young man who's been trained with us has a job and has formed this small little house church where his next door neighbor can speak in a different language or uh, work in a different way, may have come from different part of the area, he's been able to build on to that common bond of uh, their new identity living in this urban setting and sharing gospel to them. Yeah. And that has been a beautiful way that uh, those Groups have been stronger. They have been um, uh, safer because you have people from all different backgrounds coming and supporting. And also, since they are in an urban setting, their financial uh, ability is a little bit better than rural areas. They've been able to contribute. So these small churches are becoming self-sustaining as well, Mm. financially. So that's kind of a really great uh, way that I'm always really amazed at how God has um, has been working to form this group to share gospel in different communities. And so not only are you equipping these men to be able to adjust their own worldview, mm-hmm. but you're also having to give them some cross-cultural skills, right? Because, you know, you're yeah. talking about going into neighborhoods or, or slum communities in cities where neighbors may be from different backgrounds. And so they're having to to work through this multiple times, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and that's the beauty of, of this kind of working in a bigger cities. They are melting pots and people coming from different areas. One of my favorite... Uh, thing to do is that our churches celebrate um, national holidays like 15th of August or 26th of January. It's a fun prayer day, praying for India, praying for our, our prime minister and our government leaders. And many times there's, there are the songs and celebration through dancing. Mm. And um, 
when I travel and I've seen the, the dance move and the music, the church's form and the people that has joined that, that reflects certain caste, mm. certain, uh, certain language and certain music type that is indigenous to maybe to certain areas that I'm not familiar with. In the same uh, neighborhood, you have 10 different kind of a different way of praising God comes with a different artistic styles because those church families are made up of different people. Yeah. And it's crucial for them to to understand the cross-cultural aspect of ministry, how our gospel is multi-cultural, that, that, that Jesus was uh, and Paul was serving uh, in, a, in a context that was post-colonial and uh, bigger cities that people come from different ways. And so it's nothing wrong that they look different, uh, but still serving the same God. Now, is that unusual in India to have groups from such different places getting together and even celebrating their cultural differences together? It is very unusual. The, the surrounding has been hostile to that group because they are contextualizing or, and reclaiming that type of music or dances or that type of a. Uh, um, kind of a colorful dressings yeah. because that's ours. That is Indian. And being an Indian, that is my, that's part of me. And when I feel like dancing or when my daughter wants to dance and enjoy, she definitely picks up that Bollywood moves. Mm-hmm. Because, and that's the way that we kind of uh, uh, seen. And so uh, it, it is that kind of church, that kind of, that is an Indian church that I believe that, that is not Western. That is not the hymns that we are trying to force mm-hmm. them. That is not something, the liturgy that is not we can identify with, or that is not something, certain words and concepts that need to be translated in our language or that particular subgroups uh, to understand. And uh, the, that's why I think leaders need to be very open uh, for this cross-cultural aspect of reaching uh, to their own context. Well, what an, an amazing witness that that can be to those others in India that see something that's deeply Indian mm-hmm. and yet so much more that they see Christ through through this that breaks down these these walls of division as Ephesians 2 describes Um, to bring a a new body out of that. Yeah, it's amazing. Now, you talked about there being the opportunity for vocation in the city, to work in the city. How else does the city shape your ministry? One of the facts about these urban cities is that it's constantly changing. Mm. The biggest change that we have seen in last 15 years is that urbanization, uh, these call centers are popping all over India and especially in the bigger cities. So we have this young people who are making 10 times, 20 times more money than ever of their family has made. Mm. And so the context to reach them is totally different. 
And so that itself become a very different mission field who's connected to the, to the Western world. And uh, their needs are so many different than somebody in a, in a rural setting. Mm. So to adopt those things, uh, we need, uh, we have seen pastors, those who are ministering in the call centers, there for them, the, the cafe meeting is uh, new, but important to space where they can afford, they can sit, they can share gospel, and they can, they can be ministered. Our pastors are shaped by that constant change, constant um, ability to adopt, uh, and, and pandemics like this really has changing the game in so many different ways because change uh, has become so dominating in everything what they have done in the past. What do you anticipate will change out, out of this uh, pandemic time? One of the major, major thing that we have seen where the cities have failed, all these migrant workers, those who have come from smaller villages, and they have come to find a refuge, find a job, and they live in a very poor living condition just mm-hmm. to they can, can save money and send back home. And when this pandemic hit, the only place that they knew was the safest was home. And this one thing I was thinking that even cities people live are that city is their home or they still lack or crave to be with their own people in the village. Mm. And uh, when the pandemic hit, when life stopped, and, and I have a huge uh, exodus from these bigger cities, people were going, wanting to go home because there I am from, that is my identity, there are my people, and there I will be safe. Mm. One group in particular, they're walking um, for days just to, to go home. And I said that you're, I see a, your legs are swollen, you don't have food. And this young lady said that I want to, I want to see my daughter, I want to see my uh, family, even if I die while walking to, mm. to home, that is okay. But I want to be in that village and city, even a city provided me job and maybe small place to live, but my true identity is still that pulls me back. Mm. This pandemic has um, really challenged people to think about what ultimately think matters. And uh, we have seen growth. One of the things that are prominent need for mental health, need of counseling, need of Mm. God, seeking the truth, people seeking hope, people asking those uh, ultimate questions. So a great sense of community and technology has helped our pastors to connect more people and encourage them and give them hope. 
And I think that's a powerful opportunity for the church in the city. They might be able to become more of that family, real, true community and bring that into the city context where that's been missing. The other thing that that occurs to me in the midst of this is when we have moments like this and a bunch of people that have been living in cities that have acculturated to cities, they've gotten used to city life, then they go back to the village. It doesn't mean they just uh, immediately go back to village life. They're changed by the city and they're now changing village life. And so I imagine the outflow of this in India might be that village life becomes more urbanized in some ways. Yes, I agree with that. And and we have seen that uh, new church plants are happening where uh, somebody Mm -hmm. was part of a a small house church in a city. They have gone back. They are encouraging their families back home. They are... They're praying with them. They are giving them hope. And with technology, again, I think even the smaller villages as well, being able to have access to the pastors preaching from cities using Zoom or WhatsApp to stay connected and also give, share the links with others that way. And uh, I always say that... um, Paul used Roman roads to to reach so many different places. In our context, God has given us this tool of technology, Mm. and we use that as Roman roads to connect with more people. And this pandemic has really expedited that process. Mm. People really do not have any option than get educated in technology and using that. And so Mm -hmm. that I'm saying that a great tool to have uh, to evangelize and to reach more many people. What do you hope to see happen through your work? We're really praying that uh, our goal is that how this movement will be indigenous, how this movement with the leaders will um, uh, will feel stronger. It's almost like if you took a plant and planted to some other soil or try to build a garden in your area. But if the, the plants that you're planting, if they are not indigenous to that soil, that area, it's very difficult to survive and thrive. Yeah. And I see each of my leaders is those plants, those who are already there, they will sustain, thrive in very hostile, difficult condition in a, in a very less financial uh, help. Uh, more help is through resources and, and, um, and prayers. And my hope is that uh, in a bigger context, in a bigger um, stage, that I, when I go to different conferences, I see very less representations of this national pastors and national leaders. Mm. I would like to hear our voice. We would like to share our voice. We would like people, the decision makers of whether it's a big missions organization or churches or center why somebody wants to come to United States. It's same like if whatever part of the United States you are, if you want to good in music, you're going to go to Nashville. If you are wanted to 
do something good in your movies, you are going to go to Hollywood. And uh, people have come to United States because that is still a stage. And uh, as a national leader, I would like to see that people like you and many others who are leaders would recognize the importance of these uh, resilient indigenous leaders and give them platform and um, opportunity to share and also role in the leadership to to be able to to make this movement richer and more effective that's a good word uh, and a good challenge for the the global church to i think in general do more listening to each other but to raise the voice of the local church across the globe for sure what would you recommend for our listeners to learn more and maybe hear from indigenous leadership thank you so much i think that's a very important question and uh, as uh, in the last 20 years i think the seminaries and the bible colleges and even churches are we are not going and forming a mission compound and making a parallel societies in the smaller cities or other places. We have learned about cultural sensitivity. I think we have gone, we have learned and we are growing in the cultural sensitivity, which is a very important path. But I would like to push our, our leadership and especially your listener that we need to go one more step. In spite of good intentions, good partnership are not been formed. Still a huge uh, concern uh, of global church when they, they minister work with national pastors and local churches. And so I would like to see these kind of more opportunities. I would like to see churches really um, see value in this. And it looks different. It, it looks very different many times doing missions. But from it's right time to move from just to cultural sensitivity and listening to give leadership, more involvement, and more trust, and more working together. It's mm, good. I think to do that, we've got to just be willing to invest in relationships. Absolutely. Right? I think the trust is... You can't manufacture trust. I think you have to to build it through relationships, which means prioritizing relationships over programs, over campaigns, all of those things. So, well, thank you. Absolutely. It's very, very important. And, uh, and that's the hard work, developing relationship, and especially in the context of cities that we... I uh, have seen that we are distracted, we are busy, we are involved in our hustle of our life. We are ready to write a check, but do not have time to have a one-on-one Zoom call. That has been a big challenge. Praise God for the work that you're doing. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much for this opportunity and uh, appreciate prayer for India and all our national pastors and uh, we'll be praying for you as well. Thank you, John. I'm thankful for John Bangardive for joining us in this discussion. Mission City is hosted by me, Michael Crane, and produced by Radius Global Cities Network and Scott Slusher. Today's episode was written by me and Scott Slusher. Thanks for listening. 
We would love it if you'll share this with friends. And take a moment just to leave us a review on whatever you use to listen to podcasts. It can help Mission City be heard by others. Take care.